Thank you again for joining us here online at South Suburban Christian Church. However you're joining us, we welcome you. We appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to be with us as we delve into God's Word and continue to prepare ourselves uh, in this season of Lent looking toward Resurrection Sunday or Easter. I hope also that today, as you're joining us uh, on our online.church platform specifically, uh, that you'll stay with us through the entirety of the program near the end uh, of our program today, Pastor Joe is going to be sharing uh, a ministry moment, uh, particularly this week about our worship team. I hope that you were able to see our ministry moment from last week with our South Sub Kids team. Listen, things are still being done here at South Suburban Church. God is still at work in this congregation and in our community, and none of it would be possible if it weren't for your generous gifts and contributions, your tithes and your offerings. Thank you for being committed to the mission of God, to the work that Christ has called us to. We can't celebrate your faithfulness enough. And I hope that you'll stay at the end of our program today so that you can see some of the tremendous things that continue to go on here at South Suburban Christian Church. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn to Numbers chapter 12. If you would, uh, we're going to be reading verses, uh, well, let's read the whole chapter as we are in this series, uh, Out of the Ashes, and I'll talk a little bit more about how this series is coming together in just a few moments. So hopefully you found Numbers chapter 12. Will you read along with me? Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom Moses had married. He had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. He rings the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. 
Well, we're in the season of Lent, that 40-day period of preparation, not counting Sundays, as we look toward Resurrection Sunday, the celebration of Easter, when Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb. We have been in this series, last week and this week, and for the next uh, three weeks, Out of the Ashes. And over this 40-day season of Lent, uh, and, and if you haven't listened to last week's message or our Ash, Wednesday's mes- Ash Wednesday message, would encourage you to go either to our webpage at southsuburban.com uh, slash sermons or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Church, and listen to those messages as we, be, as we unpack a little bit in more detail uh, Lent and ashes and how all that plays uh, into our observances as believers in Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we've been looking and will continue to look at uh, five instances or five couples, uh, five people uh, in duos who found themselves immersed in ashes, covered up with the reminders of their brokenness, of their sin, of their rebellion. And more importantly, as we look at these messages, we're going to be seeing how God responds when we find ourselves in the midst of ashes. The title of our series will give you some indication of that. God is the one who pulls us, lifts us out of the ashes by the grace of God and Jesus Christ. As we look at this text today, this story of Moses and Miriam, probably uh, one of the lesser known stories that we might find in the Old Testament, Uh, This is in the midst of what you might remember as the Exodus. So the Hebrew people have been in bondage in Egypt through the work of Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Uh, They are able to liberate the Hebrew people. They have found themselves in the wilderness and they're wandering through the wilderness these 40 years. 40 years? There you go. There's that 40 for the 40 days of Lent. 40 years the Hebrews wandered in the wilderness. 40 days Jesus was in the wilderness before his temptation that 40 comes up over and over and over again in holy scripture but as we look at this story in the midst of the exodus moses aaron and miriam uh, come to a point where there's significant conflict between the three of them and it brings me to the first point that i want to share with you rebellion breeds rebellion now, as I was thinking about how to, how to word this first point, one of the things that I was thinking about offering as the first point is, is we all just need to stop complaining. But uh, maybe rebellion breeds rebellion uh, will help us uh, not be so defensive as we listen to God's Word, as God's Word tries to inform us and teach us as the Spirit conforms us into the image of Christ. You know, sometimes we dig ourselves our own hole in those ashes that we find ourselves being covered by, don't we? Now, depending on how you count the circumstances throughout this story of the Exodus, the Hebrew people have complained in specifically somewhere between 14 and 15 times. Now, that doesn't necessarily uh, enumerate how many times they complain. That's just the count of the complaints that are listed in Scripture, where Moses and God respond to their complaints. Somewhere around 14 or 15 significant moments where the Hebrew people found themselves complaining and shaking their fists in anger. It goes from when they were still in bondage in Egypt, 
and Moses is trying to liberate them in an instant there. I'll come back to that a little bit later. All the way to when they find themselves at the Jordan River near the end of their 40 years in the wilderness where they send spies over. And as the spies come back and tell them that the land is filled in, with giants and, and, and fortified cities and there's no way that they can be conquered, they complain again. I talked a little bit about that in our last series in Dangerous Prayers as we looked at uh, Jeremiah. Let me, let me just take a few moments. I'm not going to go through all 14, 15 of these complaints, but let me, let me walk you very quickly through the complaints that they've already been through just prior to the moment that I'm reading to you this morning in, in Numbers chapter 12. The first time the people complain to Moses is uh, uh, they're upset with Moses because when uh, they were in Egypt... And Moses and Aaron came to the Pharaoh and began to, to seek to persuade Pharaoh to let the Hebrew people go. Pharaoh actually responds in anger and heaps more work upon the Hebrew slaves. This is found in Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 through 22. And the people complain about this. It, it would be better if you would just leave us alone. By the time they get to Exodus 14, the people are complaining even more fervently to Moses and Aaron. Listen, you're making things worse. We know that we're in bondage. We know that we're in slavery. But, but, but all that you're trying to do to liberate us, it's just causing more trouble. Just leave us alone. Isn't it interesting that we might long for liberation? We might long for freedom. But when we realize that that road toward freedom involves some pain and some heartache, then suddenly we're not so interested in pursuing it. Well, we, we have this natural human proclivity, this natural human ability that even when we find ourselves in brokenness, even when we find ourselves in pain, we too often will do all that we can to stay in it because we know that getting out of it might be even more painful than just enduring it. The third time that people complain is when they get to Exodus chapter 15 that the water that they're drinking in the wilderness is bitter. Then again, in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, the people complain about being hungry. And so God gives them manna, the bread from heaven. Then in Exodus chapter 17, the people complain about being thirsty again. And, and they raise up their voice against Moses and, and ask him, why have you brought us out here? There's no water. You've brought us out here to die. At least when we were in Egypt, at least when we were in bondage, we had food to eat and water to drink. In Exodus chapter 32, we see the most significant complaint of the people. When Moses goes up to the mountain to be in communion with God, to receive the law from God as God is forming them in a, into a nation, into His own people, uh, uh, laying the groundwork and the plans for the, for, for the wonderful future that God has in store for the Hebrew people. And as Moses is up in the mountain, he's just gone too long. And the people are upset and they begin complaining again. Why has Moses left us? Why isn't Moses here to take care of our needs? We know he's up there with God. We know that God is speaking to him. We can see the cloud. We can hear the thunder. But nevertheless, we're down here by ourselves. This isn't right. This isn't fair. And so then they do the most horrific of things. They take all of their gold jewelry and fashion it into a golden calf and begin to worship it. And then... The seventh complaint, a complaint that arises just prior to the lesson that was read today. We read Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 11, the people complain again about the food. 
And at this point, Moses is so frustrated. He's so done with the complaints. He's so upset with everything that he's had to endure these years that he turns to God and he says in verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter 11 of Numbers, And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all of this people on me? I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. What what an amazing prayer. We could translate that into modern language by just simply saying this. Essentially, Moses is saying, look, if you want me to take care of all these people and endure all these complaints, and you really love me, the best thing you could do is just kill me now. I know all of us have felt that way. Whether it's the stress or strain that we have sought to deal with in, in caring for our family, in caring for, for uh, uh, our friends or our neighborhood, in, in dealing with the stresses and strains at work, particularly in the midst of this pandemic, dealing with the, the, the frustration of complaints and, 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 and all of the, the short-sightedness that we might experience in our life. Sometimes it becomes so overwhelming that we just turn to God's, God, kill me now. I don't think I can put up with this any longer. This is where Moses was. Overwhelmed at the weight that he was supposed to carry. And then, in the wake of that sense of weakness and worthlessness and hopelessness, the incident that we read today in Numbers chapter 12 occurs. Miriam and Aaron complain about Moses. Now, Maybe, maybe all of the complaining of the people had impacted Moses and Aaron as well. You, you know, oftentimes that's the big debate with regard to leadership. It is, is, is the leaders that we have a result of the nature and attitude of the people you know, who select the leader? So therefore, the people select a leader that reflects who they are. And so maybe because the people were complaining, Moses and Aaron who, uh, and, 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 and Miriam, who are leaders of the people, reflect the nature of the people. Or is it that the nature of the leaders impacts the people? You know, people say, well, the reason we're having such difficulty in our company is because of leadership. The reason we're having such difficulty in our family is because of leadership. The reason we're having such difficulty in our church is because of our leadership. You've heard those comments before. Is it the leader's fault that the people are a certain way, or is it the people's fault that the leaders are ineffective? I think the truth is is that it's probably not either or, as everyone seeks to, to articulate and argue, but it's both and. That the two influence each other. And maybe, maybe, maybe that was the reason that Miriam and Aaron found themselves in a moment of rebellion, in a moment of complaining. You know, the group had been complaining about Moses multiple times. This is the eighth time thus far during the Exodus that the people have complained about the leadership of not only Moses, but of Aaron and Miriam as well. But I can't imagine how Moses must have felt. I can't imagine how terrible he must have felt. The sense of abandonment, the sense of betrayal when his own brother and his own sister complained about him. Those folks that he had counted on. Those folks that were his blood. 
We've all been there, haven't we? It's that pit in our stomach that we may have experienced when our spouse told us that they didn't love us anymore and didn't want to be married to us. It's that overwhelming sense of failure when your child, in the midst of anger and rebellion, shouts out, I hate you, even though we know they're just children. And we know intellectually that we don't hold that against them, but the pain of hearing those words from someone that we would lay down our lives for is soul-wrenching. Or a sibling who accuses us of being the favorite. Mommy and Daddy loved you more than they loved me. You know, I think all of this points to the second point, that rebellion breeds rebellion. But the other point that we need to keep in mind is, is that the issue is rarely the issue. The ashes are getting a little deeper now, aren't they, as we think about our own lives in respect to this incident that we're reading about in Numbers chapter 12. You know, I can remember throughout my years as a pastor that married couples have come to, to my study and, and as they open their hearts and begin to share some of the frustrations that they have in married life, one of them will, will, will say something along these lines, you know what's really irritating, pastor, is my spouse squeezes the toothpaste tube from the middle instead of from the bottom. Everyone knows that when you pull toothpaste out of a toothpaste tube, you're supposed to do it from the bottom, not the middle. And I sit there and I think, okay, that's not the real issue. Because the issue is rarely the issue. The text here in chapter 12, verse 1, is Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Now, what's interesting about that verb in the original language, that verb spoke, is that it is in the third person feminine singular. Well, now, if you're reading the sentence in English, you can assume, and rightfully so, that in the original language of Hebrew, the sentence is grammatically incorrect. It should certainly at least be in the plural because it's Miriam and Aaron, not just Miriam. But the verb spoke is clear. It reflects back to Miriam. You could read this, that Miriam spoke against Moses, although the text does tell us that Aaron was a part of it too. Now, why would that have happened? Well, there's a couple things that I, I think that we ought to be thinking about. First of all, you know, sometimes when we are having conflict with people, one of the things that we do is we triangulate. You, you, we, we've all been guilty of that, where we're having a conflict with somebody else, so instead of addressing the conflict with that individual, we always go get somebody else and bring them into the conflict. We tell them our side of the story, and, and we say things like, I just want to make sure that, that I'm thinking about this correctly. When, when we know, if we look deep into the brokenness of our own heart, what we're trying to do is find an ally, not to necessarily adjust how we're reacting, but to justify how we're reacting. And suddenly that, that third person who finds themselves triangulated suddenly is a part of this conflict that they didn't have anything to do with to begin with. It could be that that was the situation with Miriam and Moses, and she pulls her older brother Aaron into this conflict. But I do know this. I do know that that word spoke is a very clear word about what was going on. Now, throughout most of the Old Testament, that word that we translated spoke generally simply means to speak. That is, is that you spoke something. But 
one of the other most significant ways that it's translated is to destructively speak. You see, in English, we'd have to put an adverb on uh, to, 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 to tell us the intensity and the direction of that verb. It wasn't that she was just speaking. It was she was destructively speaking. Aaron was destructively speaking. How would we say that in modern-day language? Well, they were gossiping. They were telling everybody else the problems that they had with Moses except Moses. And they were telling everybody else not just to fix it, but to justify their complaints against Moses. They were trying to win support for themselves and they were trying to persuade the people to be against Moses. Well, why? Well, the text says why, at least the public reason. There at the end of verse 1, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. Now, who is a Cushite? Well, if you, if you go into all of the sources and, and the stories all the way back to the uh, commentaries written by Jewish rabbis centuries ago, the, the, the accounts and, and the explanations really don't agree very much. We know that Moses was married to uh, Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, but at some point, and we're not really sure how this happened, he also finds himself married to this Cushite. Some have said that his first wife, Zipporah, had died, and he takes the second wife. Others say uh, that he received the second wife before Zipporah. We don't really know, but we do know this. A Cushite is someone who is from the land of Cush. And the land of Cush is south of Egypt, or what we would know today to be Ethiopia. The word Cush literally means in the original language simply this, black. That is, she was a black woman. This man from Ur, this man from the Chaldees, this man who would have been brown is married to a woman who is black. And this man's sister, presumably also brown, is angry because her brother is married to a black woman a foreigner, an outsider. And she is suggesting that the reason he is incapable of good leadership is because he is married to this foreigner, to this black woman. And yet, even though that might be the reason, at least on the top, that might be the issue, it's not really the issue. The issue is even more nefarious, more broken, than just her prejudices. Matter of fact, the text says it. Verse 2, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? Now what's so troubling for me in this text is, is, is an example of an all-too-human tactic. February is Black History Month, and in my own celebration and uh, observance of it i've been reading a book called uh, king leopold's ghost it's a story about the king of belgium leopold ii and his oppression of the congolese people in the congo as he uh, uh, forced slavery as he murdered uh, uh, the indigenous people as he cut off their hands as punishment 
as he sought to get them uh, to work in order to build his wealth and his kingdom uh, in rubber and ivory. The, the, the book actually talks about some of the lesser known but yet phenomenal African-American sons of former slaves who were missionaries to the Congolese people during this same time. People like George Washington Williams. People like uh, Henry Shepard. And these men, these African-American missionaries, are the ones that began to uncover the atrocities and the abuses of Leopold II and his government in, in, in persecuting the Congolese people. And these two African-American missionaries and, uh, and, and others who came alongside them to fight them were able to, to draw the condemnation from other European nations against Leopold II. People like the French and the Portuguese and, and the British. And yet the interesting thing is even as they stood in condemnation of Leopold II, they themselves as nations were guilty of the same atrocities in other parts of the continent of Africa. You see, that's the human proclivity that all of us have to fight with. That it's easy to be able to identify the sins of other people without taking into consideration our own sins and our own brokenness. Just like our own truth is the preferred truth, the sins of others are the preferred sins that we like to point out. You know, I don't think that for Miriam, the fact that Moses was married to a Cushite was really the issue. But what's so atrocious is she uses the prejudices of the people to persuade their opinions against her brother. The real reason is that she was afraid she would lose power. The real reason is, is that Aaron and Miriam are jealous, are prideful. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? You see, there it is. The prejudice, the racism, was a result of pride. A hunger for power. And that's what's terrifying. Is that we're willing to do, to do whatever we need to do to maintain our own positions of power. Our own place with regard to wealth and influence. You see, human prejudice is too often rooted even deeper than just the short-sightedness of race or ethnicity, but it's a fear of loss of power. That is, Miriam and Aaron were not in charge, and that bothered them. The spirit of rebellion that dominated the people had in this moment also seemed to take control of Miriam and Aaron, the sister and the brother of Moses, the man of God, who had both been used by God and had played an important role in the exodus out of Egypt along with Moses. Which leads me to my third point. Pride comes before the fall, doesn't it? And yet, Christ still intercedes for us. As we have immersed ourselves into the brokenness of the story, as, as we have wrestled with the uncomfortableness of what it says about the nature of human beings, our nature. We find ourselves completely covered now in that ash heap, wondering if God can even see us below all of that guilt and shame and sin. Well, let's look and see what happens in, in the text here. In verse 2, 
and the Lord heard it. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, what I, what I find so amazing is it, it isn't that Moses heard it and then went to the Lord and then the Lord steps in. Moses hasn't even heard, apparently, about the gossiping and the complaining and the gossiping of his own brother and sister. But the Lord hears it. Because the Lord sees our hearts. The Lord sees who we are. And although that can be terrifying, it is also incredibly freeing that to the Lord we can be honest. To the Lord we can be transparent. To the Lord we can invite Him into our lives to make us new through the sanctifying work of His Holy Spirit. But just like, just like any parent would do, I heard what you've been saying, I've heard what you've done. And in verse 4, the text says, And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Suddenly. I, I, I love that word. That means we're going to fix this, and we're going to fix it right now. No more gossiping. No more destructive speech. We're going to get this out in the open, and we're going to fix this problem today. And the Lord says to him, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And there the Lord comes down in a pillar of cloud and God explains to them that to question Moses is to question God because it is God who has chosen Moses and it is through Moses God has chosen to speak to the Hebrew people. And in punishment, when the Lord departs, Miriam will be covered with leprosy. Pride comes before the fall. And yet Christ intercedes. You know, if we're not careful, we can leave this story with this some sense that Miriam is the one who's messed up and broken. And some reason Aaron seems to be able to get off of the short end of the stick here. And he doesn't have to deal with as much as Miriam does. I don't, I don't want you to leave thinking that. This, this, this sister, this dear sister, this dear mother of our faith, this, this Miriam, this woman who shares the name, if it were translated into the New Testament, it would be Mary. The same name as the mother of our Lord. This Miriam is an amazing woman. We're first introduced to Miriam in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, when the Pharaoh says that every male child that's born has to be killed. And it's this, this, this young Miriam who takes her new baby brother, you guessed it, Moses, and hides him in the reeds of the Nile so that Pharaoh's daughter finds him and adopts him. And then Miriam does this wonderful thing. She comes to this daughter of the Pharaoh and says, hey, I know somebody who can be a nursemaid for this infant that you've just found in the reeds. And before you know it, Miriam has returned Moses back to his mother, her mother. This Miriam was a smart lady. She was the older sister of Moses. She was the one who watched over him. She was the one that took care of him. And one could say that the survival of the leader of the Exodus, Moses himself, depended on the courage and the ingenuity of this great woman, Miriam. The second time we're introduced to Miriam in the Old Testament is in Exodus 15 when Miriam becomes the leader of the Hebrew women. They've just come through the Red Sea. The, the Egyptian army is in pursuit. 
And as they make their way through the Red Sea and the Egyptian army pursues, God brings the waters down, destroying the Egyptian army. And it's Miriam who gathers the women and the people of, of, of the nation of Israel and they celebrate in song. She is the worship leader of the Hebrew people in this moment. And as they sing, uh, that song that was, was, uh, w- w- was written is called the Song of Miriam. And it's been handed down for generation after generation. It's one of the oldest recorded hymns that we have in the Bible or anywhere. And it's this woman who in her poem, in her lyrics, talks about how God was faithful and He saved His people to survive for the great vision and mission that God had for them. This woman was a great woman. She was a mother to the Hebrew people. She was a leader in the midst of the Hebrew people. Then we come to this ordeal here in Numbers chapter 12. And even in her punishment, even in her being made leprous, notice what happens. God says that she's required to stay outside of the camp, which was the appropriate method of how to handle folks who had leprosy. But look at verse 15. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. Now now some commentators, some scholars believe that, that Miriam's sin held up the Hebrew people because they had to wait. I like to look at it from the other side of the coin. The people were not going to leave until Miriam was brought back into the camp. What a blessing of community. That even in her rebellion, even in her brokenness, the people knew that she was an important part of their community. And they were going to wait. They weren't going to move until she was healed, which she was, and brought back into the camp of the people. For if she hadn't been healed, she wouldn't have been allowed to come back into the camp. These people, they didn't leave her. And yet in the midst of all of this, I can't help but remember from Proverbs 16, 18, the text where we get that phrase in our modern day culture, from Proverbs, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, which of course is where we get pride comes before the fall. And yet, and here's the point, brothers and sisters, and yet Christ always intercedes for us you know moses loved his sister even after she and aaron had spoken destructively even after they had gossiped even after they had complained even after they had judged even after they had criticized his wife my brothers y'all know that you you can talk bad about me but don't let me hear you talk bad about my wife or my family that's when it gets personal And yet, even in the midst of that, Moses loves his sister so much that he cries out in verse 13, Oh God, please heal her. Please. That word please is in there twice. You you, you all have been there when, when the only prayer that you can utter from the depths of your heart is just, Please, Lord. And that pleading takes up more of your prayer than the actual petition in the prayer. I don't know about you, but when I hear Moses pleading before the Lord, I can't but help remember 
Jesus pleading before the Lord as well for me and for you. When after he had had nails driven through his wrists and his feet, after a crown of thorns had been shoved down upon his head, after he had been whipped to the inch of his life, after he had been ridiculed and spit upon and forced to carry his cross, after his his best friends and his disciples had had denied that they ever knew him and, and had abandoned him, and as he finds himself alone, hung on the timbers of those cross, what is it that he cries out? Those words for which Moses' words are a foreshadowing. Father, Jesus says, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Paul restates that sentiment so powerfully in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows us love. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Out of the ashes, <laughs> out of the ashes, Christ raises us up. Out of the guilt, out of the shame, out of death itself, and raises us to new life. There's one more incident that I'd like to quickly share with you as we think about this great woman, Miriam. It's kind of refreshing, actually. Well, well maybe, maybe it doesn't start out that way, but, but it ends that way. It shows us that God is always gracious. That, he's, that is, He gives us what we don't deserve. That is, God is merciful. That is, is that He doesn't give us what we do deserve. For in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, we read about Miriam's death. She died in a waterless place in the wilderness. The dirt and the soil cracked. No life and no water. But afterwards, after she is buried in that land, God causes water to come from the very rocks themselves. The land springs to life and the people are refreshed and strengthened. And I don't think that God necessarily brings the water as a tribute to her life for all of the good she did and, and, and for some of the bad. God brought water because that's what God does. He brings water to the thirsty. He brings life to the dead. And He brings you and He brings me out of the ashes. For in the midst of all of the brokenness that we've experienced over this past year, the uncertainty of where we're going or what we're doing, In the midst of the shadows of Lent, hear this, my brothers and sisters. Easter is coming. Out of death, God is bringing life. If you haven't made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, would you do that today? That out of the hopelessness, out of the death that is so real in our world today, God is is bringing life. Say yes to this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior? If you have said yes to that question right now, would you click on the button at our online.church platform or send us an email if you're listening to us on any of our other platforms at office at southsuburban.com that we might celebrate with you 
as we continue this journey toward an empty tomb, toward life eternal. In Jesus' name, amen.